Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. You know, you and I this morning made a decision to get up and uh, come to this place and worship the King. And I was considering the fact that tomorrow we call it Memorial Day. And the reason that we call it Memorial Day is that we memorialize, we remember the men and women who have given their lives in defense of the wonderful rights and privileges we have in this great nation. I know sometimes we think about America, and I hear people a lot of times bad-mouthing her, if you will. <clears throat> and I know sometimes we look and we say it's not what it used to be and what have you. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I've been in a lot of nations around the world, and without a doubt, uh, America still is the greatest nation on planet Earth. And part of the reason for that is the women and men who gave their lives defending those freedoms. You and I, the hardest decision we had to make this morning was whether or not we were going to come. And if we were going to come, uh, what clothes we were going to wear. Uh, We didn't have to worry about hiding somewhere or digging a hole in the ground and having church there. We were able to freely come out here and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for those men and women. I want you to consider for a minute those mothers and fathers whose sons and daughters didn't come home. I want you to think for a minute about those brothers and sisters uh, whose brothers and sisters didn't come home. I want you to think for a minute about that sacrifice that a lot of the sons and daughters whose dads and moms didn't come home. And so right now we pause and we give God praise for the men and women who gave it all in order to defend our freedoms. All right? Now let's take a moment, if we could, and go to our Father in a time of prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? God, I thank you for allowing me to be right here right now. And God, we acknowledge that yesterday is over. And we're not even promised to make it to lunch today. But we have right now. And we ask you to help us to live right now, to experience right now, to not get ahead of ourselves or behind, but just simply meet with you this morning. Father, I pray that we would be transformed by it. I thank you that you have the kind of power that when we meet with you and we get into your word, you change us. So I pray I would be, I pray we would be changed this morning. Uh, now I'm going to talk to you as, I'm, as we're praying before I say amen. Uh, we're going to have opportunity today to worship the Lord through praise. We've done that already. Uh, through prayer, we've done that. Uh, going to do that some more. We're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord through the preaching of His Word. But right now, we have the opportunity to worship the Lord through giving. And so if you're in the two outside neighborhoods, if you're our guest, I'm talking about the two sections to my right and left. Uh, on the outside chair, there should be a little basket. And I'm going to ask you to reach under there and grab that basket. Would you do that for me? If there's nobody sitting in that chair, would you reach over there? Go ahead and grab that as we're still in a spirit of prayer. And grab that basket. And uh, as you're getting that, I want to remind you, I had a mama tell me recently, thank you all for taking the offering up again instead of just having those black boxes because I was afraid my children were not going to grow up watching me and their daddy give. And I want them to learn that children of God are generous. And so this morning, if you have your offering prepared, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, I want you to put your hand on it. If it's in your pocket, just put your hand on it in your purse, put your hand on it. Here's why. You are touching tangible evidence that God has been good and gracious and kind to meet your need. Would you take a moment and thank him for the people you work for, for the people who work with you, for the customers and the clients and the students and the people that he sends your way in order to provide for your physical needs? The Lord says about himself, he loves a cheerful giver. Stop for a minute and think about what you're investing here today, where it's going to reach, not just the ministries here in this church, but all around the world from right out here in the middle of nowhere. So, God, we thank you for creating in us generosity. And we thank you that you said, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So, Lord, we trust you. We're giving today, and we're thankful you're going to use it for your kingdom's cause. Now prepare our hearts even more to hear what you have to say, to join our voices together in song. As you pass that in a minute, when you take your offering, put it in the basket, pass it to the inside if you're the two outside rows, and one of our deacons will come by and take up those worship offerings. Lord, bless you, and Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So love the world that he gave his only time, and whosoever. 
shall have eternal life. I shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God salvage me for his love has set me free for God for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed will not pay
Amen. Don't you love that trade? Carry your cross and trade it for a crown. How about that? Hey, this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to enjoin, ask you to join me, rather. And where we left off last Sunday, and I know there's been a lot of sleeps in between then and now, and I know most of you wish you were at the beach anyway, 
And I said you're here, so I'm going to just encourage you, give you the verse, all right? John 21, beginning in verse number 18. John 21, 18. How many of you wish you were somewhere beside? Well, I better not ask that question. All right, let me just start by saying I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, those who are gathered with us in remote locations, you know, a lot of our people uh, challenge us when we vacate. Vacation is to vacate, right? Vacate responsibility, vacate work, vacate the, the norm to go to something different. And uh, as I challenge you, when those times arise, don't vacate the Lord. Uh, I remember my pastor a number of years ago, Rob Futrell, said uh, he went on a vacation one time, and someone asked about his Bible, and he said he realized that he had left it at home. And he asked the question that day, when you go on vacation, do you leave your Bible at home? And I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, a lot of the times in my young life, in 20, 21, 22 years old, I did that. And So don't vacate the Lord when you go away and spend some time away. And so I pray that you would gather with us online when you can. Uh, be careful this summer. Let me say this to you real quickly. Be careful this summer not to let the beauty of creation and all that God has given us in the great outdoors uh, not be that thing which pulls you away from worshiping him. Okay, it doesn't make sense, but we do it, and I just want to encourage you that way, okay? John chapter 21, beginning in verse number 18. Verse number 18. A number of years ago, I was in the seventh grade. You know, it's been a long time ago. And there was a Byram High School. Y'all, how many of y'all are familiar where Byram High School used to be? I have to ask that question because when I would tell my children that when they were younger, I'd say, Daddy went to school right there. They said, Daddy, there's not a school there. And I say, there was a school there. And, uh, and I went to school there. And so in the seventh grade, there was a, a guy uh, who was a friend of mine who was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else and stronger than everybody else. And so we finally convinced him to come out and to play football with us. And so what we would do is, you guys remember, those of you who are around my age and older, you remember we had daily schedules. We called them like first, second, third period, you remember? And seventh period was when we would go and we would practice football. And so we talked him into it. His mom and dad went and bought him shoulder pads and helmet and cleats and everything that he would need to play. And parents, you're, some of y'all grimacing. You're thinking about summer sports and all the equipment that you have to buy. And, and he, was, he was ready, man. He couldn't wait. And we were talking him up and, you know, talking about how strong he was and he was going to be great. And so the first day we go out to practice, and it was hot. I'm talking about smoking hot. And about halfway through uh, practice, we had not run any plays. We had not tackled anybody. All we had done so far was run. Doesn't that sound exciting? And we had just run and run and run and drug tires, and we'd done all kind of fun things. And, uh, and I, re I remember I, every once in a while I would glance over at him, and he didn't have the look of joy on his face, you know. And uh, I really wanted him to play, though, because I, I felt like he could be an, a great asset to the team, and plus we just love being around each other. And so practice continued on. About halfway through, a coach had told us to do something, and he did it wrong. And when he did it wrong, uh, how many of you had a coach that when you did something wrong would just unload on you? Anybody have a coach like that? I mean, he unloaded on him, called him all kind of names, and just got on him. And I remember looking over at him and seeing that look on his face. He didn't take very – he wasn't really one of those guys that really loved authority. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so I'm thinking to myself, man, he's running. And, 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 and so it wasn't long. I guess it was about three-quarters of the way through practice – I look around for where he's at, and, he, and, I, and I don't see him. So I look up, and if you remember where the practice fields used to be, down from, it was kind of down past the, the, the main field, down uh, in a remote location between the baseball field sort of and the, and the football field. And so I look over to my left, and I see a silhouette of a guy who looks like my guy. You know, he's tall, he's, he's big frame, he's walking, but he's not walking to practice like where we were. He was walking away. And I noticed that he had his cleats on and his football pants on, but he didn't have his helmet or his shoulder pads. And he's walking rather quickly, and I'm like, man, what in the world's going on? So finally, I go over, and I look to, my, to where the coaches are standing, and there's a pair of shoulder pads and a helmet and a jersey, practice jersey, all in a little pile there. And I go over and ask the coach. I'm like, what's going on with so-and-so? I mean, I, 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 he, he said, oh, he, he said, nobody told him we were going to be doing all this. He's done. <laughs> he, didn't want, he didn't want any more of that. So next, we, we, we see each other the next day. I said, man, what in the world? We wanted you to play. We think that you could really help us. We think we'll have fun. He said, I don't know what your idea of fun is. He said, but that was not fun to me. And he said, y'all lied to me. And, and I said, what do you mean we lied to you? He said, well, you didn't tell me. I said, well, we didn't lie. We didn't tell you it was going to be easy. We just didn't tell you it was going to be difficult. Listen, I believe in the Christian life it's one of the greatest misconceptions in the world today that following Jesus is going to be smooth, simple, and easy. And so this morning, we're going to look into the reality of following Jesus. That's the title of our message, the reality of following Jesus, here from John 21, beginning in verse number 18. I hope that before this is over, you won't want to turn in your shoulder pads and helmet and walk away 
from following Jesus. Matter of fact, I pray that instead you would be encouraged in your spirit. You'd be informed by the word. You'd be empowered by the spirit. And you'd go out, put your helmet on, your shoulder pads on, tighten your chin strap. And y'all aren't tracking with me. And live your life for the glory of God, okay? And so uh, I hear people say this often. Well, you know, I don't know about continuing on with this ministry, with this Sunday school class, with this what have you. And I always ask the question, okay, well, talk to me, you know, because sometimes there are seasons of beginnings and seasons of endings. And so I'll say something like this. Well, tell me about why. Well, it's just so hard. And I wish I could tell you how many times I've heard people say to me, I, I, I always understand that if I've always heard, it's what people tell me, I've always heard if God is in it, it's going to be so easy. The doors are just going to open and everything's going to line up. You've heard somebody say that before. You've heard somebody say in the middle of Sunday, man, I know God's all over this because the doors just keep opening and everything goes so smooth and easy and it's just wonderful. And so somewhere we take that into the fact that that's going to be the Christian life. And boy, you live a little while following Jesus and you'll find out that sometimes following Jesus leads to difficult places. We're going to find that out today. So I want to encourage you to stand to your feet with me this morning in honor of reading God's Word. And we're going to read beginning in verse number 18 and all the way down through verse number 25. All right, can I get a smile from you real quick? Now, y'all know they get out early, so that means you're probably going to get out early maybe. And uh, so y'all to smile a little bit. Somebody said, man, we thought we had a guest speaker this morning, you know. And uh, anyhow, the preacher let us out early, and here we are uh, beginning in verse number 18. What's happened, remember last Sunday, the conversation between Jesus and Peter. We talked about the fact of what happens when we fail. How do we respond to God's, right? And what happened is Jesus came to where they were. And he didn't just come to where they were. He did something for them. He cooked them breakfast. But he didn't just cook them breakfast. He served them breakfast. And so we learn that Jesus loves failures. Aren't you glad that he loves people like me and loves people like you? And he fellowshiped with them, and he's had a meal with them. But then, but then Jesus dealt with the big pink elephant in the room. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like Peter had done something that he said he wouldn't do, and Jesus said he would do, and then it happened. And that's kind of behind him. But don't you know when he's with Jesus, he's thinking about, hmm, boy, you know, that big pink elephant that's in the room nobody wants to talk about? And Jesus just meets it head on and says, now listen, um, do you love me? You remember the ladder of love? Top wrong, agape. Jesus said, do you love me? Top love, amazing love, godlike love, without condition. Peter says, comes down the love ladder and says, really, if I'm honest, based on the way I'm living my life, I'd have to say I love you. Remember the word? Look at you guys, Greek scholars. Phileo, which is brotherly love. I love you down here. And Jesus asking the second time, do you love me up here? Agapeo, right? The amazing God-like love, unconditional. And again, Peter says, I love you here. Phileo on the love ladder. And the third time, something very beautiful happens, and we're learning about the nature of Christ. Jesus comes down the ladder and meets him there and says, do you love me, Phileo? Do you Phileo me? Love me like a brother. And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that's all I've got to offer. And Jesus made it. Aren't you glad he meets failures right where we are? Hallelujah. He'll help us right where we are. So right after that sweet moment, and by the way, every time he's saying, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. In other words, he's telling them, you've, you're not, your failure has not disqualified you. You still have purpose. And uh, why does God use failures? Here's the answer. You ready? I've heard people debate this theologically. Here's why. We're all he's got. Right? I mean, this, what has he got to choose from but a bunch of failures? And so he is the hero of the story, not me and you. And so he says to Peter, feed my sheep. But then a turn happens in the conversation, and it gets very intense. Okay, y'all ready? Your mind's kind of zeroed in on where we are, or let's begin verse number 18. Some of y'all thinking about ribs and barbecue, and I'm trying to keep you focused. All right, here we go, verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you. Now, Jesus has just said, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, John's going to give us some commentary. This Jesus spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, said to Peter, y'all help me, follow me. But then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Now, notice how John, the author of this letter, by the Holy Spirit, refers to himself. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on Jesus' breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it, the one who's going to betray you? And Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, but Lord, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that that man, he, John, remains until I come, what is that to you? And then he gives him a command. Y'all say it with me. You 
follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but this is what he said. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Verse 25, listen to this. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then he said, amen. Now, let's just pause and talk about verse 25 before we get to the message. Three and a half years, give or take, of public ministry, and we have recorded of Jesus' uh, teaching and, and, and miracles, and we could study them the rest of our life and grow from them knowledge all the way until we die. But imagine this. John said, we saw it, where, where I witnessed testimony. If everything that he did was written down, the earth couldn't contain the books that would be produced. Can I just tell you something about Jesus? He was busy when he was here on the earth, all right? Now, let's take just a moment and go to our Father in a word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a moment? God, thank you for allowing us to be here. And, Lord, we simply pray now for help. Help for the preacher. God, in my weakness and frailty and all of my inadequacies, as I take now and say, Lord, please use me again, I pray that with confidence because you have proven over and over that you use failures. You use the weak and the beggarly and the less than ordinary. And I thank you that, Lord, I am all of those, and I thank you that you've already proven that you can use me, and therefore you can use anybody. And, Lord, as I, I preach today, I pray also would you also speak to my heart. Speak to the heart of every person within the sound of my voice, whether in this room or somewhere else. And, Lord, may we, like little children, sit down at the table and listen for our daddy to speak life to us. So, Lord, help us to give clarity and understanding of the reality of following Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to just tell you guys, I was surprised as many of you showed up, filled the room up. I mean, I, I was expecting just a handful of us. And uh, so I'm thankful again that you are here. I want to rewind back to verse number 18, if I could, all right? If you will, rewind back there with me. And there are simply three statements I'd like to make about the reality of following Jesus. Like my friend, he didn't understand up front what was going to happen, what was ahead of him. And so when things got hard... When things got difficult, when, when coaches kind of talked down, roughed him up a little bit, uh, he was not willing to go any further because he didn't know on the front end what, was, what it was going to be like. So many people I find in America today say the same thing. I, I didn't know it was going to be this difficult. And if we're not careful, we shrink back. So first thing I want you to see in number, Roman number one is this. Following Jesus can, in fact, lead to difficult places. He can. Some people will say to you, just follow Jesus and everything will be right. And some people are under the persuasion that if I give my life to Jesus, that I'll never be robbed. I'll never run out of gas. Anybody out there? I'll never have a hard day. I'll never have a flat tire. Life's supposed to be peaches and cream and easy because, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so surely everything's going to open up for me and I'm going to have this magical Midas touch. And whatever I put my hand to is going to make more money than I can spend. And I'm never going to get sick. And yet what we find is that is not the case. We are a fallen people living in a fallen world and God uses suffering to bring him glory. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go along, okay? So, picking back up in verse number 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, and I'm going to paraphrase here, you got dressed, that's what girded yourself, and walked where you wished. Here's what Jesus is saying in the first part of verse 18. When your life was your own, before you knew me as Lord, you did what you wanted to do. You made your plans you made your agendas, you spent your money where you wanted to spend it, you spent your time where you wanted to spend it, uh, you invested in the hobbies that you wanted, you hung out with the people that you wanted, and your life was your own, okay? But now, he said, no longer is your life your own, and what he's going to go on to say, but when you are older, okay, the end of this race, they are going to crucify you. You're going to die on a cross because of your follow of me. That's what Jesus is saying to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking to myself, this was a very sweet breakfast, brunch maybe, uh, where we're eating some broiled fish and we're enjoying the sounds of the sea and, and just being restored, how sweet that is. And you almost would expect Jesus, like old granddaddy, to put his arm around him and say, now, get you a seat in a church somewhere that the air condition is just right, the padded chairs, and just, listen, you just enjoy being there. <laughs> but he doesn't. He says to Peter, I'm restoring you in the midst of your failure, but there's a purpose to it. You are going to 
serve, you're going to tend the sheep and feed the lamb. And what he says to them is, what he says to him, and I need you to understand the end of this thing is going to be you dying an agonizing death because of your faith in me. Now, notice the silence and the uncomfortable thought pattern that's going on in the room right now. Can you imagine if the day that you came to Jesus, now you ought to be able to remember that day uh, when someone shared the gospel, you heard it preached or somebody shared it with you personally, and the Spirit of God brought conviction, and the Spirit brought, granted you repentance, and you came to a place of surrender, and you responded to the gospel by saying yes and received Jesus as Lord. The day that that happened, uh, I want you to think about how as life unfolded, okay, uh, the conversation was presented to you this way instead, all right? The preacher said, okay, um, what I want you to know is if you put your hope and trust in Jesus today, your sins will be forgiven, but you're going to be crucified for it. They're going to beat you. They're going to spread your arms apart and nail you to a cross and you're going to die an agonizing public death in front of people, your family and friends, and that's how it's going to end. Now, I wonder who would be here this morning. I wonder which of us, from the preacher to the sound booth and everybody in between, how many of us would say, you know what? Yes. My yes is still on the table. Because truth of the matter is, we, when we face difficulty, we have this tendency to just sort of want to throw our hands up and give up and walk away. I've asked the question of you before. Any of you in here ever get tired of doing the right thing? And some of y'all are super spiritual. You won't raise your hand. But me, I'll raise my hand and say, sometimes I get tired of doing the right thing. And yet, can you imagine if the right thing was you were going to be nailed to a cross and you knew it ahead of time. And then he said, follow me. And I wonder how many of us have said, now, that's not the invitation that I got. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of us in here hear the invitation, and we turn away from it even now. But can you imagine if it was presented to us in such a way? But here's what Peter is, is learning from Jesus, and that is that following Jesus can lead to difficult places. He never promised that following him was going to be easy, that now your vehicle's not going to break down, you're never going to get cancer, and everything's going to go well. Somebody ought to say amen right there. You should have learned. Well, listen, we should have already learned. You don't have to walk with him long, do you, to realize that that's not the promise that Jesus made. Now, people like to take verses of Scripture like, by his stripes you are healed and make it seem as if we'll never get sick. But the truth of the matter is we're going to get sick, and we're going to face difficulty. And, and the promise of God is not that we'll always be well. The promise of God is not that always life will be easy. The promise of God is not that always we'll have enough money. The promise of God is that wherever we are, he will be there with us. You see, what's happened is we've treasured the wrong thing. We've treasured the outcome of our situation over the presence of God in our situation. Let me say that one to you again. We've treasured, we valued the wrong thing. We put all our hope and joy and, and, and our, our mood swing on, on the outcome of something we're praying for instead of assigning all our hope and joy to the fact that wherever we are, he's with us. He promised he would be, and so he is. So Jesus says, when you're old, they're going to uh, stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Your will and your way no longer. Now, let me ask you to think about for a minute the contrast of uh, the reality of following Jesus. Uh, Jesus makes very clear that when you're following Jesus, your life is no longer your own. Now, now listen to me. Does that mean all of us are going to get crucified and nailed on a cross? That's not a trick question. Y'all looking like, oh, maybe, I don't know. No. Uh, and by the way, thank God uh, that we're not all going to die that way, okay? And, and so the, the message of this is not, all right, everybody trust Jesus and you're going to be crucified for it. That's not the message. The message is the reality of following Jesus means you turn your life over to his control. And if it is crucifixion, then you say, glory, hallelujah, I'm going to do it because his presence is going to be with me. Or if it is cancer or if it is whatever the situation, then, then I'm going to glorify God because he promised that he'll be with me. And I want you to see that it's so easy for us to believe a couple, well, three specific lies I want to share with you. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to list these three lies, and I'm going to give you the truth from the word for them to dispel the lie. Okay, y'all ready for that? Write these down somewhere. Three lies, great lies of our day. Number one, number one, here's a great lie we believe today. I do not have to die to me to live for him. That is a great lie of our day. I don't have to die to me to live for him. I can still live with my girlfriend. We can still have sex outside marriage. I can still get drunk. I don't have to die to me. I, here's what we believe. We believe we can still do us and do him as well. And it's a lie. It's, it's an outright lie. Let me give you the truth. Galatians chapter 2 
and verse 20. I think it's going to be on the overhead. I want you just to look at it with me. I have been crucified, Paul said, with Christ. Does that sound like that we have to die? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer, uh uh-oh. I wish y'all come on with me. I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the lie is I can just go to church every once in a while, and I prayed a quick prayer, and I'm saved. The truth is I must die to myself in order to be a child of God. Does that make sense to you? Second great lie we listen to or we believe in our day and time. Here it is. You ready? And this is, I believe, probably the most popular. Here it is, number two. I am currently following him. I'm currently, I love that look right there. Some of y'all are looking like, what? There's a, there's a, a, a lie that's believed in the, I'm looking at all these different minds in the room. And there's a lie that the majority of us are right now fully convinced of. Fully convinced of. If I ask you this question, are you following Jesus? You say, yes, you're fully convinced of the lie. But here's the truth, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Oh, Lord, is he going there again? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, go, therefore, come on, y'all help me, and make disciples where? Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait, second part. Teaching them, that's disciple making, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am, uh oh, there's the treasure. I am with you always. So then, so then, the lie we believe is I'm, I'm, I'm following him. But he says, if you're following me, you're making disciples. Those both can't be true. Either I'm not following him and I'm not making disciples, maybe I'm going to church. Maybe I'm singing in the choir. Maybe I'm singing the praise team. Maybe I'm running the sound. Maybe I'm preaching the gospel. Maybe I'm doing all kinds of, but I'm not investing what he's taught me into somebody else. Then here's what, here's what he said to Peter. He said, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, y'all know where I'm going because I say this so many times you get sick of hearing it. I'm praying it sticks. If I'm not fishing, I'm not following. If I'm not fishing for men, I cannot say that I am following the Lord Jesus. He is on a rescue mission. And the reason he saved this failure is so that I would join him on that same mission, right? And I can't say that I'm following him if I'm not doing what he has asked me to do. All right, second lie is I am currently following him. And the truth of the matter is if I'm not making disciples, I am not following him. Number three, number three, aren't you glad you came today? We're just, listen to me. The reason that I'm so glad I came on even some difficult spots in the message is that truth dispels lies. And I love that. I love that truth dispels lies. Third, when I'm going to move on, here it is. If I follow Jesus, life will be everything I want it to be. I've, I, anybody ever believe that lie except me? If I follow Jesus, everything's going to be like I want it to be. Like, why is my truck broke down the side of the road? I'm following you, Jesus. Uh, why did I get the diagnosis? I'm following you, Jesus. Why is this happening and that happening? And so we believe this lie that if I follow Jesus, life will be everything I want it to be. And yet Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, to his disciples, by the way, he made this statement, if anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to follow me, let him, here it is, deny himself, help me all, take up his cross and follow me. When a person was seen carrying his cross in Jesus' day, he, wasn't, he was not going somewhere to have a hard day. Uh, some people say, man, my boss, I know who my cross is in this life. It's my boss. And I'm like, really? And they say, yes, yeah, my boss is a burden. And, and I said, you understand that a person seen carrying a cross was not going to just suffer a little bit. They were going to die. And so what Jesus is saying is that, man, our life is sometimes it's not going to be everything you want it to be and I want it to be. Um, but what he says is we'll have everything we need to bless and honor him. So three quick lies we believe. I do not have to die to, be, uh, to live my life for him. Second, I'm currently following him. And third, if I follow Jesus, life will be everything I want it to be. But what we learn from Peter's example is following Jesus can lead, y'all help me, to difficult places. We need to settle that. We need to teach that. We need to tell people that. Otherwise, they're going to turn their shoulder pads in. Y'all tracking with me? Otherwise, they're going to say, you know what? Nobody told me. Nobody told me that things weren't going to be easy. Nobody told me I wasn't going to have all the money I wanted to spend. Nobody told me that I'm still going to get sick and still have difficulty. Nobody told me my kids were going to still rebel. Nobody told me. And they'll want to turn their shoulder pads in and walk away. And let me say this to you. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere for them to go. You walk back up the hill to an empty place. What in heaven's name can we turn to if we can't turn to Jesus? So let's be honest and just decide that there's, there's going to be things in this life that are difficult, but his promise is that he's going to be with us. Now, let me make a statement. I'm going to move on. The chief end of the Christian life. See, that's our, our, our struggle is that we haven't defined a goal. 
And if we haven't defined the goal, we have a good chance of hitting, hitting it. Hitting what? Hitting anything. The goal of the Christian life is to glorify God. Notice in verse 19, that is exactly what John said when he describes what Jesus said to Peter. He said Jesus was telling him that by the way he was going to die in order to glorify God. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. How in the world could Peter glorify God in a suffering, horrible, torturous, bloody death on a cross? By the way, tradition, now this is not Bible, but tradition, historical tradition, tells us that Peter was in fact crucified, but he was crucified differently than the Lord Jesus. Anybody know how? Upside down. In, uh, in other words, when it came time for his crucifixion, history says that Peter said, I don't deserve the same honor that Jesus did to be crucified upside, uh, right side up. So if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. I'm thinking, my goodness, can you imagine that? The agony of crucifixion, but then to be upside down, all the blood rushing to your head and all the situation that he went through. The point I'm making to you is simply this. Following Jesus can lead to difficult places. The question we ask, how can God be glorified in that? How can he be glorified in that? If you're Peter's mother, mama's in the room, if you're standing at the foot of that cross and you see your baby up there hung upside down, excruciatingly dying, you ask yourself the question, how in the world can God be glorified? If you're Peter's best friend, man, y'all have hung out and spent time together and enjoyed each other's presence, and now you're looking at him upside down, agonizingly dying minute by minute. How in the world can God be glorified? And what we don't understand is two or three things. You ready? One of those is as he's in agony, somebody's with him. The Lord Jesus Christ said, wherever you go, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's, he's being his strength and his grace to sustain the crucifixion. Secondly, we forget that when he draws his last breath, he enters this reward. He comes into the kingdom of God where there's no more suffering, pain, sorrow, no more sin nature. All the wonderful presence of Jesus is there. And so he's a couple of breaths away from going on in. Now, Jesus is with him the whole time, but he's going to see him through to the other side, and he's going to be in the kingdom of heaven forevermore. He'll never so much as sweat again. And now I want you to think about those remaining. Did you know that through his death, history also says that many people came to faith in Jesus because of how Peter died? Those that wrestled with the fact that he didn't run from it, but he ran to it. That he didn't want to be crucified the same way. He, he had elevate, Jesus was so elevated in Peter's heart that he didn't want to be crucified the same way, and it impacted people. And people came to faith in Jesus because of how he died. And so you ask yourself the question, how in the world could that glorify God? The answer is, a thousand years from now, the suffering is forgotten, the comfort is there, and people are in the kingdom because of his die. That's how God can be glorified. Our problem is, you ready? Our problem is, we are stuck. And what I mean by that this morning, I just want you to think with me logically for a moment. We're stuck. You say, what do you mean I'm stuck? You're stuck. You don't realize it, but you're stuck. You feel free and you feel powerful and all that, but you're stuck. You can't go one second back and you can't go one second forward. You can't go one hundredth of a second backwards. You can't go a hundredth of a second forward. You can't. You're stuck right here, right now. But God is both in the past right now, in the present right now, and in the future right now. Time is a thing that you and I deal with, a constraint we suffer with, but God does not. And so he sees the end, watch this, from the beginning. Hallelujah. Man, you only see the beginning from the beginning and the middle from the middle. And all we see is the suffering of the moment. And we are not able to see the glory to come. But God is. And if you ever struggle with how could God let me go through what he's letting me go through, and the answer is there's a glory to come. And it's bigger than anything you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And the prize is not deliverance from the suffering. The prize is the presence of God during the suffering. Let me move on if I can, all right? So, number one, following Jesus can lead to difficult places. Number two, y'all let me get hung up there for a little while. We might be late for lunch. Number two, all right, number two, write this down. Comparative living, comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. Comparative living. You, you know what that means? It means to compare uh, your life and my life, your assignment and my assignment. Comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. I don't even need to explain this one. You already can see how it shapes, can't you? And so what happens, let's read along in verse 20 and 21. Comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. We said first, following Jesus can lead to difficult places. Number two, comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. Look in verse 20. Then Peter, turning around. Now, imagine the scene. They've had this wonderful breakfast. Uh, Jesus has explained that he's restored Peter. And Peter has lovingly responded. But then Jesus gets really intense, and he says to him, now, here's the end game. You're going to be crucified for it. Follow me. Follow me. 
Notice Jesus didn't shrink back. Listen, how in the world could Christ be so bold as to look at me and you and say, your plight is going to be suffering in the midst of your life, and you follow me anyway? You know how? Because he already did it. He's the champion. He's the one who's already been there and done that, and his suffering is way more than you and I could ever imagine. And so he can say to me and you, do it, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to be right there with you. Next, we say comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. Verse 20, so then Peter turned around and saw the disciple. Listen, it would do you and I very well not to turn around, uh, especially if we are trying to plot a course moving forward on a certain path, especially if we're following a specific leader. I remember a time in my childhood when we were visiting the battlefield park and we were supposed to be in our classes. We were supposed to, in Vicksburg, we were supposed to follow. We had little leaders that were assigned, you know. And, uh, and as we were doing that, one kid got lost. I remember they shut the park down, and we're searching for little Johnny, you know. And, and finally, they find him. He's crying, and everybody's crying. They find him. And they said, man, what in the world happened? And he said, well, y'all told me to follow Bill. I don't even know who Bill is, you know. And he ends, up, he ends up somewhere off in the woods. And here's the point of that. If you don't know who it is that you're following, if you're looking to other people, you'll never truly follow Jesus. So Peter says, what about John? He turns around. Instead of, instead of staying the focus and, and processing what he's saying, the first thing he does is he begins to compare his life to John's life. You ever find yourself doing that? Would you agree with me that social media is probably the greatest instigator of comparative living? By the way, did you know that everybody in here has a perfect marriage? And everybody in here has three vacation homes, and everybody in here, four-wheelers never break down. They ha- Huh? You know that everybody in here goes to the gym every single day and runs three miles and lifts weights every single day, never misses? No, that's just what you see posted. And so what I'm saying to you is we have a terrible situation where we look at what pictures and snapshots and we begin to compare our plight, our journey, our lives. And that's what Peter did with John. So Jesus said, here is what I have assigned to you. And remember, crucifixion is not the end game for all of us, thank God. But it was for Peter. And so Peter was not supposed to look and say, what about John? Peter was supposed to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust your presence through the difficulty, and I know you're going to get me through. But he did like I do, and he did like you do, and he thought to himself, is this fair? You ever, th- you ever thought that about your life? Huh? Is this fair for me to have to go through what I'm going through? Is it fair that I'd have cancer? Is it fair that I'd have a rebellious child? Is it fair? I mean, after all, I've, oh, man, you see how quickly you and I can get off the mission. Comparative living. I'm looking at so and so, and they don't even read their Bible, and look what they got a nice house. And comparative living, it'll hinder us from individually following Jesus with reckless abandon. Comparative living. Let me just move on and give you an illustration, if I can, from Hebrews chapter 12. Write this in your notes, verses 1 and 2. This is what it said in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. That's the things that weigh us down. Could be good things, things that weigh us down. The sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. But Why? Because life, the Christian life, is a marathon, not a sprint. The race that is set before us. How are we going to do it? Here it is, three words. You need to see them. Three words. How are we going to do it? Looking unto John. Y'all sleep? Looking unto Peter. Looking unto your husband. Looking unto your wife, looking unto your parents. No, no, no. Looking unto no comparison between my life and his. He's the champion, undefeated, suffered more than I'll ever suffer, endured more than I ever went through, rejected, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, crucified, and did it for the joy that was set before him. And he's who I'm supposed to compare my life to. And as I compare my life to it, it humbles me and reminds me how much I need grace today, the same way I did when I came to Jesus at nine years old, the same way I'm going to need grace every moment of every hour until I get home, the same thing that's going to help me shift the treasure from the outcome of what my situation is to the fact of the matter that his presence is with me no matter what I go through. He's going to do it if I look to him and not look to John. Oh, I wish today that you and I would stop comparing our lives to other people's lives. You know what it produces oftentimes in our life? Covetousness. We want what they have. We want to do what they do. We want to, we want to earn, earn what they earn. We want, to do what, we want to have what they, all of the things that are associated with comparing my life. Instead, here's what it ought to look like in our life. We ought to be thankful unto God we have, we're, we, he's called us to what he's called us to do. Would you agree with me that our nature, our flesh nature, ranks those? 
If I'm not getting to do this, then my role as, you know, a helper, assistant, whatever, is less than. And because of that, we reduce what God has called us to do, and we think that what Peter was assigned to do was greater than what, what John was assigned to do, and we, oh, it messes us up. Listen, what he wants from me and you, the reality of following Jesus is a personal, unconditional surrender. Whatever my plight is, God, I want you to be glorified. My plight is going to be different than yours. Yours is going to be different than mine. I don't want to look at yours and be mad about yours and miss out on mine. I don't want to look at yours and, 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 and covet and envy and not joyfully and thankfully serve, serve in mine. Um, it, listen, will you agree with me? It's a difficult journey. And it's really easy for us to compare one to the other, all right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me make this statement to you, right? Here it is. If our focus is on others, we'll never truly follow Jesus. We'll be like my little friend that got lost in the battlefield park because we're following after somebody else's life. Tell you one more quick story, then I'm going to move on. A number of years ago, there was a man here that used to help do some things. And as he was doing some things, he was building one day. He and I and a group of guys were here, and we're building. And he saw somebody go, and he was always frustrated. You ever get around anybody like that? Anybody out there? Y'all must hang out with a different crowd than I do. Uh, He's always frustrated. And he was always complaining about what everybody else was or was not doing. And I remember a particular day, a truck goes by, and we're, we're doing something. He's, he's fussing. Look, look at so-and-so. They ought to be here, you know, helping us. What he didn't know, that so-and-so's grandmother had been given a few days to live, and they'd called the family in. And so-and-so was going up there to try to catch a few more minutes with his grandmother to love on the family and encourage one another. So we have to be careful, don't we, about playing God. And so as he's sitting there, I, I remember thinking back on that and, and considering this. He missed out on the joy of serving God with his tools and his skill set and what God, he felt God called him to do, instead he was coveting and envying, comparing somebody else's life, and he missed it. He missed it. The handicap rip got, got, got built, but I can just tell you something. God didn't receive the glory he would have if, he, if the guy would have done it with joy and a smile on his face and said, I don't care if anybody else shows up. I feel like God's called me in my life to build this ramp, and I'm going to build it to the glory of God if it's by myself and takes me three years. See the difference? Comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. Number three, can you all believe we've arrived there already? Yeah, we're still running a little ahead of time. Praise God. Y'all listen fast, and we're going to finish this thing, all right? Y'all are not going to smile today, are you? Number one, following Jesus can lead to difficult places. We talked about three lies we listened to, and we talked about three truths to compel those lies or to dispel those lies. Number two, we talked about comparative living will do what? Oh, boy. One more time. We said comparative living will hinder us from following Jesus. And then number three, following Jesus requires personal surrender. You can't do it for your kids. Your kids can't do it for you. You can want it. You can pray for it. But what you've got to focus on is your individual surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If right now you're going through a season of suffering, it has not escaped the mighty loving hand of God. The word of God says in the Psalms that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this day and forevermore. Because of that, no difficult day will ever sneak up on you that didn't cross over the mountain range of God. And because of that, they all have purpose to strengthen our faith, to humble us, to drive us to prayer, to drive us to Jesus. Oh, there's wonderful benefit in suffering. So let me just conclude by saying verse number 22. Look with me if you will. So he says, Jesus turns around and saw the disciple whom Jesus lay saw, John. And he said in verse 21, Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, but Lord, what about this man? God's will for Peter's life was not satisfactory to Peter if John's life didn't have the same suffering. Wow. And what you and I want to get to the place that whatever God's will is for our life, We're honoring him and blessing his name because of it. All right, I'm reading along. Verse number 22. And Jesus said to him, by the way, verse 22, Jesus is about to talk talk tough a little bit. You ever get talked tough to? Huh? Anybody ever get talked to? Your mom and daddy ever talk tough to you? Yeah? And so uh, listen to this. Jesus loving and full of compassion, but talk tough. Listen to what he told. Jesus said back to him, "If if it's my will that he be here when I get back, what's that to you? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit of a tough talk, right? He could have said, well, now, I understand your feelings, Peter, and come here, let me hug you, and you're, bless your heart, you know, and let's, just, let's just sing a song. Uh, but he didn't do that. He said, if I want him to be here when I come back, what's that to you? 
And I want you to understand something about Jesus. Though he is the suffering Savior, he was, he's also King of kings and Lord of lords. And oftentimes when you and I push back against his will for our life, even when it's suffering, what we've just done is try to put ourselves on the throne. And Peter was rejecting what God had assigned him in his life, and he's trying to put himself on the throne. Jesus said, no, 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 I'm the one in control here. And if I want John to be here when I come back, what's that to you? And what I'm reminded of is the book of Job. When Job got a little sideways about his life, he finally got a little despair. And God said to Job, where were you when I told the, the, the mountains how far they could rise? And where were you when I told the ocean how far it could go? And where were you when I breathed out galaxies of stars and basically said, I'm God, you're not. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And as he's talking here to Peter, he just, talk, he just talks right straight to him. Watch what Peter says back, all right, verse 22, and G, rather what Jesus said. But Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? And then he hits him with an emphatic command. You follow me. You're not responsible for John's follow. You're not responsible for Simon Peter. Simon Peter was responsible for Simon Peter's. He was not responsible for Matthew's follow, just like you're not responsible for anybody's follow except for your own. Now, can you contribute to somebody else's follow? Certainly you can. By how you walk with Jesus, surely you can. How much you pray for them, sure you can. But what you can never do is surrender somebody else to the will of God. And so today I want you to think about this wonderful following Jesus requires personal surrender. Nobody else can give their, your life to Christ, only you can. You won't go on your mama's faith or your daddy's faith. You won't go on your youth group's faith or your, your family's faith. You'll have, listen, this thing is a personal relationship where you talk with him and he talks with you. Listen, I'm afraid there's some people in this room who are living your life like it was a one prayer thing and now the thing is sealed and settled and done and you have missed out on the fact that the whole deal was about relationship. The whole thing was about relationship. And somehow... You or some of us have withheld from him what he wanted, what he paid for, and that is not perfect living and, and, and righteous rituals, but relationship. You're not spending time in the Word talking to him, listening to him. You're not. And listen, it's evident in how we live our lives. He wants you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to speak into your life, something to help change how you are. He wants to listen to you. He wants to direct you. He wants to even talk tough to you sometimes. Oh, I wish unto God you and I would see it for what it is. It's a true personal relationship, unconditional, that says, God, even in the difficult times, I'm choosing you. Now, let me conclude, if I could, with just one particular, couple of verses from John chapter 11, real quickly. John 11, 25 to 27. Here it is, personal surrender, okay? Jesus speaks to Mary and Martha. A situation has happened. Do you all remember back that far? Lazarus, their brother, had gotten sick. You all with me? And remember what happened was that the sisters, they sent some friends to go get Jesus. Except what happened. Anybody remember? He didn't go. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus drug his feet. No, no, it didn't say it like that. But it said Jesus intentionally waited until Lazarus died. Doesn't that sound kind and compassionate and friendly? The only one who had the power to make him well waited till he died because there was a greater miracle he was going to bring, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. But that's not, let me, let me I'm get ahead of myself. As the sisters meet Jesus when he comes into town, Lazarus is dead. They got the stone in front of him. He's, he's stinking already. And the sisters are hurt. And because they're hurt, they're angry. And they say things to the Son of God like this. If you'd have been here, both of them said it to him. If you would have been here, our brother, come on, y'all know what he said. They said, would not have died. That's what the lady said. If you'd have, now think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. You know somebody who could heal him. Now, you, you're not sure. Your faith may not be that he could bring him out of, the, out of the tomb after stinking for this many days, but you had faith to believe he could make him well, and he didn't show up. And now he's come late. And they're angry. They're hurt because they're missing their brother. You know, sometimes when we're hurt, we... we we, we play it off as angry, don't we? And we say things. Man, they said some things to Jesus. If you were here, you, you, this wouldn't happen. And Jesus said, now listen, Jesus said to them, first, your brother's going to live. 
Yeah, and then they were like, kind of go back. Yeah, at the resurrection, Jesus responded with this. John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, come on, somebody help me. He shall live. His body's going to die. His soul will never die. He's going to live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, the word for die is twofold. Die physically, the heart stops, the body ceases to be alive, but the soul goes on. Spiritual death is separation from God. Here's what I know about me. One day, this physical tent's going to die. And it's going to go in the ground and, and become dirt again. Isn't that cool? And uh, Because that's what I was taken from. But then my spirit, who is who I am, by the way, I'm not a body with a soul. I'm a soul that's got this body for just a little while. And who I am is going to go on and live forever in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, now watch. Wonderful, wonderful story. Wonderful testimony. Wonderful truth. But then watch how personal it gets. Watch how personal it gets. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question of her. Do y'all believe this? That's not what he said. Does your family believe this? Nope. He didn't say, does your husband believe this? He didn't say, does Lazarus believe this? He says to the one woman he's talking to, y'all help me. He said, do you believe this? You follow me. And I remember one time asking my son, asking Riley, he's about 10 or 11. I like to hit him with these questions that catch him off guard. And we're riding down the road one day, almost back to the house, and I said, I said, son, are you following my Jesus or your Jesus? And he looked at me like I lost my mind. He said, dad, aren't they the same? <laughs> I said, well, right now you're under my roof, and you've always been a very respectable guy, and you know that I love you, and so you do things to honor me and your mama. And I said, but one day you're going to be outside of our roof, and you'll find out if you really are worshiping your Jesus or it's all hinged on mine. And I want to say to you this morning, who are you worshiping? Is he, in fact, your Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just really quickly. Now, I believe this morning there are some in the house who are going through some very difficult days. You're right in the midst of a stretch of life, and you can't figure out why things are going so terrible and how hard and difficult, and it's caused you to doubt if God loves you and if God is there, and he's reminded you today that it is his, listen, it, he has allowed the difficulty to come, and it is not the defining factor. The treasure is not for life to be easy. The treasure is to acknowledge that God is with you. Now, by show of hands, if you're in this room, or you're listening online, and you would say to me this morning, with nobody looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, you'd say to me that there's somebody, there's some situation, some circumstance in your life, your children's life, your grandchildren's life that is causing some suffering, some difficulty, some hardship. Would you slip your hand up toward heaven? Just slip it right up toward heaven, my goodness, just like the early worship time. All right, thank you. The next question is, would you be honest enough to say that maybe that has caused you a little bit to Compare your life to other lives. You know, it's caused you to, it's hindered your relationship with the Lord. You just can't figure out why everything's happening the way it is. And you look to, you're comparing your husband, comparing your children, comparing your wife, you're comparing your friends, other eighth graders. And man, just watching them, and, and, and it just looks like their life is so easy and smooth, and yours is so difficult and hard. The enemy's lying to you to say you're the only one that ever has to go through this stuff and you're the only one, and God doesn't love you, and oh, he's lying to you. He's told you so full of lies, you've started to believe him. And this morning, God has brought you near to whisper into your ear as a loving father, I'm with you. I'm with you. The treasure is not the outcome. The treasure is God saying, I am with you. The reality of the Christian life, the reality of following Jesus is our joy and peace is not found in how our situation works out. It's found in the character and nature of God and His presence being with us at all times. Somebody today needs to just call out to Him and say, Lord, I need you to change the treasure that I've been seeking. Somebody in here, your difficulties had you seeking the treasure of the situation being resolved, and that's the focus of your life. And it's not wrong to pray for God to help and to meet, but when that becomes the object of your joy... Boy, it'll suck the life right out of you. And today Jesus is saying, come back to me. Come, come back to seeking me. Come back to acknowledging the fact that I'm with you. 
Maybe you're here and you never invited Jesus to be Lord of your life. Can I tell you, there's no better day, there's no better day, no better time than right now. And if today you would call on the name of Jesus, if you would believe that he died for you and rose again, the Son of God, and today you would willingly receive, you would confess him as Lord, receive him as Lord, today he'll save you, cleanse you, and give you purpose. Father, I pray that today with all that I am, that you'd bind the enemy from this place and that your spirit would have freedom to move. As Brian and I go down to the altar, that, Lord, you'd draw people here, that they would confess, Lord, things not to us but to you, that you would restore folks, God, that you'd have us to pray for some, that maybe somebody would come to Jesus today. Lord, maybe somebody here today would surrender to ministry. Maybe you're calling someone to preach who's been struggling with that for a long time. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch and move and speak. So bind the enemy of our flesh that tries to talk us out of responding and bind up the enemy of Satan who tries to tempt us to listen to our flesh. And Spirit, have liberty now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.